Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, a lot of people are scared to death to evangelize or to talk about Jesus because they think that in every conversation, they got to try and get the other person to the foot of the cross and make a decision. That is not realistic evangelism. If you think that's what you need to do in order to evangelize, you'll never do it. I'll never do it. Why? It's too big of a hill to climb in one conversation. And how many people do you know that you talk to them once and boom, they go, I'm going to change my whole worldview. You're absolutely right. Let me let me do X, Y, or Z. You wouldn't. If you're a Christian right now and somebody gave you evidence that seemed to uh, say that Christianity was false and maybe some other world religion was true, you wouldn't overnight in one conversation go, you know, that's absolutely right. Let me Let me become a Muslim now or whatever. No, it would take a long time. And what we want to do here in this broadcast is to show you how to plant seeds, how to water seeds you've planted. God is the one that's going to make them grow. In fact, that's what the Apostle Paul says. Some plant, some water. God gives the increase. Uh, evangelism is more about gardening uh, than it is harvesting. Yeah, we like to harvest, but you're doing a lot more gardening before you harvest, as my friend Greg Kokel says. And what we have on the program today is a discussion about how to reach Muslims. We talked in the previous uh, podcast, the one that is broadcast on the American Family Radio Network with Dr. Brady Blevins. We talked about some tips on how to, how to evangelize people who are either Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses because he is the professor of a brand new course which starts February 5th called Conversations with the Faiths, how to learn how to speak in a way that will make Mormons, Muslims, and Jehovah's Witnesses at least get some good information. Whether or not it sprouts in their lives, that's up to God. You're just supposed to be faithful and leave the results to God. So let me bring my friend Dr. Brady Blevins back on uh, the program. If you haven't listened to the last podcast, you want to go back and listen to that. We're going to just pick up our conversation because Brady, last week we talked a lot about Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. These are sort of cults, what we might say, of Christianity uh, that have that sprouted up in the 1800s. And maybe what I ought to do before we go any further, I know a lot of people probably were startled by the word cult. Uh, what does that word cult mean? Because we kind of think when we think of a cult, we think of like David Koresh and, yes. you know, uh, people who uh, are 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 under the thumb of a charismatic leader and is that always the definition of a cult what do we mean by the real definition of a cult no in fact defining a cult is probably one of the harder things to do because if you look in like webster's dictionary for example it's not going to help you out i mean <laughs> you look at it like we're all in a cult you know right. and so at watchman fellowship we we define a cult or we would say the marks of a cult uh, would be this. And we use the four forms of math. So do they add to scripture? So okay. in other words, like the Book of Mormon, the Quran, uh, the Bhagavad Gita, you know, something of that nature. Um, is there some kind of additional um, uh, text that they have? Do they subtract from the deity of Jesus Christ? 
Do they multiply the requirements of salvation? Do they divide the followers' loyalty? And what I mean by that is that you know once you once you uh, join this group, now you have to be fully and faithfully committed to the group. And so, therefore, um, if if your parents don't join or if your kids don't join, then you have to cut off all contact with them. And so, therefore. Um, if, if they do these four things, we would classify them as a cult. Now, let me, let me kind of go back and say one thing. Um, just because they add to the scriptures doesn't necessarily mean that they might would be a cult. Like, for example, I said the Quran, that's a false religion. And so there's a little bit difference that comes into play on that. When we, when we're talking about cults, we're talking about people who say that they are, that they maybe are the true Christians. So, you know, you might get into like, uh, something like Christian Science or Mormonism, uh, or even Jehovah's Witnesses, who you know say no, we're the actual Christ. We're like the factory authorized dealer of salvation, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you can only get it through us. Um, so we're talking about some of those. So just because they might hit one or two of these marks, um, the overarching theme is indeed that they um, that they claim to be Christian, even though they don't. Follow so, the Orthodox teaching of Christ. Yeah, that I've always uh, was told, you know, at Southern Evangelical Seminary, by the way, a great place to get an education in philosophy, apologetics, and theology is Southern Evangelical Seminary, SES.edu. Uh, in fact, next week, we're going to have two uh, graduates or students of Southern Evangelical Seminary on the show. We're going to have Elisa Childers and Tim Barnett, who All just right. wrote the brand new book, The Destruction of Christianity. You're going to want to hear that interview. But in any event, I've always been told that a cult was someone, some group that claimed to be Christian, but had very aberrant views of Christianity. And as you say, I like what you just said about uh, add, subtract, multiply, divide. Can you go over that quickly again? Yeah. So add to scripture, subtract from the deity of Christ, mm-hmm. multiply the requirements of salvation, and divide the followers' loyalty. Multiply the requirements for salvation doesn't everybody want to do that there's always something else you need to do in order to be saved rather than just trust in what jesus has done see this is why the gospel literally means good news you don't have to do anything else except except what christ has done now after you do that out of love for what jesus has done for you you're going to want to follow him and obey his commands but they don't earn you salvation they are not they're just the fruit of the tree and as martin luther said he said that the fruit comes from the tree. The tree does not come from the fruit. Okay, so any good works you do are fruit that come from the tree of faith. They're not the result, or I, sh- I should say they're not the cause. They're not the cause of your salvation. They're the result of your salvation. And so many people want to add to that. It's just, it's I don't know. I don't know Brady what it is. We think that we have to do something that we have to somehow appease God. Uh, I, I think it speaks to our fallen nature. Yeah. You know, that, that, that we can do it ourselves mm-hmm. and, and we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and, and we can earn it. It's, it, it's, it's something that we can actually do kind of like God needs our help or something, you know, mm-hmm. but I think it just speaks to who we are as fallen people. Well, thankfully, it doesn't depend on me or you, because if it depended on me, I wouldn't make it. (laughs) I'm I'm with you. I wouldn't make it either. (laughs) So now let's talk a little bit about Islam. This uh, 
is the second biggest world religion, as we all know. It began in, well, Muhammad got his supposed first revelation in 610 AD, and he, was, he died in 632. And uh, right after he died, uh, the Muslim conquest began, and by 732, the Muslims were all the way across northern Africa in Spain. They'd crossed the Straits of Gibraltar, so they had taken over the Holy Land. They are very... Uh, as Jordan Peterson put it, when, when he was asked, what's the difference between Jesus and Muhammad? He said, well, there's one thing I can be absolutely certain, the difference between Jesus and Muhammad. Uh, Jesus was not a warlord, but Muhammad was, <laughs> right? Yeah, he's kind of, yeah, can't, can't argue with that. That's, for That's sure. right. So, um, and there's sects of, of Islam, quite obviously. There's the, uh, the Sunnis and the Shias and the Sufis, or they're more mystical and and we know there's infighting among Muslims in terms of, I mean, literal fighting. You know, yes. if the Wahhabis, if you don't agree with the Wahhabis, they're going to kill you. You know, yeah. and uh, we had uh, we had uh, Bill Federer on the program yes. a few weeks ago to talk about the Wahhabis and all that and how uh, modern state of Israel came into existence. But give us uh, give us some overview. I know. It's it's more complicated than this, and you'll you'll do more in the course conversations with the face. But what do Muslims generally believe that might be different than Christians? Again, the um, whenever you look at whenever you look at um, Islam and and what they believe, it's a lot like Mormonism in some respects. In fact, in the course. Uh, I go through, I, I do kind of half of it on, on the Islam side. Then when we get to Mormonism, I, I kind of give the other half of it. I mean, it's one guy visited by an angel. Uh, you get a whole different uh, set of scriptures. Um, it, it's it's um, even the military polygamy. aspect of it. Yeah, is that, polygamy oh, yeah, is well, part of it. Certainly. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it, we have, uh, well, we'll just stop there because there's, okay, right. <laughs> about that there's a lot of parallels in other words. Yes. Yeah. I detail them in the course, but we'll just, uh -huh. we'll leave it to that. Um, but, but part of it is their, um, it moves into their beliefs again about Jesus. So Jesus, I mean, they love, they respect Jesus. They reveal, I mean, oh, Jesus is great, but he's not God. Mm -hmm. They believe he's born of a virgin, but that believe it ha they believe that has nothing to do with divinity or anything like that. So they hold to a very strict form of theism uh, uh, called dynamic monarchianism. I, I explained that in the course. I, I know probably a little bit deeper than we want to go here. But basically, if you can taste it, touch it, smell it, feel it, it can't be God. And so Jesus then can't be God. Well, if that's the case, if you have no Jesus, then you have no Savior. Then mm. who becomes the savior in Islam? You do. Mm. And if you commit jihad, you can be guaranteed to make it into paradise, at least and for some the, some versions of Islam. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what the Hadith says, the written traditions of what Muhammad allegedly said yeah. and did. Uh, so give us uh, some... Uh, you've had some interactions with Muslims. Give, tell us oh, a story yeah. about interacting with a Muslim. What happened? Uh, one of... I guess really one of my uh, one of my favorite conversations that I had, um, we we started talking about um, you know you start talking about this, a lot of times people think oh you know Muslims don't want to talk they they don't they have they don't want to talk to a Christian, 
actually, it's really quite the opposite. I have yet to run into a Muslim who didn't want to talk about spiritual things because they believe in something that they call dawah, which is basically like Muslim evangelism. And it's kind of like the word for evangelism in, in Islam. And so, uh, but one particular interaction, uh, I was talking to this young man and, um, and we took them, we took them to a specific surah. In fact, it's uh, one we, we bring out in the course and it's, it's a you know pretty pretty popular one, and it's Surah three fifty and and Jesus and I'm gonna just quote the the Quran here. Uh, it says Jesus said I have come to you with the sign from your Lord, so fear Allah and obey me. And um, I said so so Jesus says we should fear Allah and obey Him, right? And he, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I said okay, can you share with me? Um, where the commands of Jesus are in the Quran. And, and he, he kind of stopped. He kind of looked away for a minute and he goes, Frank, I'm being honest with you. When I tell you this, he looked at me and goes, I, I don't know. Uh, Google it. Sir, three fifty, man, come on, we we gotta we gotta be on the same page on this. You know, you gotta you gotta know. And um, and I said, well, why don't you go back and talk to uh, you know, talk to a sheikh, talk to your imam, and um, and see if they know. And and he came back. We came back a week later, and we're talking, and he said. Uh, they don't know either. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, uh, I said, well, I'll tell you what, I do know where there is a record of Jesus's teachings. And he says, you know, he said, you do? I said, yeah. I said, they're in the Injil or the Gospels. And he oh, I don't know about that. And I said, well, why don't I tell you what, why don't you pick a surah for me to read out of the Quran? And then I'll pick one of these Gospels for you to read. And he said, oh, okay. And so we, we did that and uh, kind of a fair exchange. Uh, and, uh, it, and it allowed us the opportunity to start talking about it because what, what you see is the teachings of Jesus are so different as, as Jordan Peterson was kind of getting to the heart of, mm -hmm. are so different than what you read in the Quran. Yeah, very different. And uh, it's interesting too that is, you know, in Surah 6, and maybe this is one of your tactics as well, David Wood has pointed this out, yeah. about the Quranic dilemma. If you know what I'm talking about, you can take it from here. What's the Quranic dilemma? The, um, I would, I would really want to go back to Surah 6 to, to go over that. Uh -huh. um, one of the things that I have found to be uh, most important is whenever you discuss, whenever you start discussing these issues, um, you have to realize that just like atheists will try to say that there's contradictions within the Bible. Um, well, there are none. I mean, there are some places where they may be some hard passages mm -hmm. and you may need to dig and understand a little bit. But when we start getting to, and I, I'd have to remember exactly how David uh, Wood puts out the chronic problem, but there are significant contradictions within the Quran itself. Yep. And, uh, and I, I can't remember the exact verses that he uses right off the bat. But the fact is, is that once you start engaging, you start bringing these things up. What has been my um, my experience in every single conversation I've ever had with a Muslim. And, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years 
it always comes back to their their one same objection that the Bible is corrupt. Yeah, well, that's the problem <laughs> when they say that. When they say the Bible's corrupt, the problem is the Quranic dilemma is this. In Surah 6, it says Christians and Jews, you ought to obey the Bible. Yeah. But if the Bible is corrupt, why would the Quran tell us to obey it? And exactly. that's the problem. So if the Bible is not corrupt, the Quran is false. Because in Surah 4, it says Jesus never died. He was taken straight to heaven. So therefore, uh, the Bible has it wrong when it comes to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But if the Bible is false, so is the Quran again. <laughs> because yeah. the Quran says to obey it. So that's so, sort of the Quranic dilemma. Either way, it's, you know, heads I win, tails you lose kind of thing. Exactly. Because... And and by the time Muhammad, as you well know, and you'll bring it out in the course, Brady, by the time Muhammad comes on the scene in, you know, six the six hundreds AD, there's no question what the what the content of the Bible is. Yeah. And we know it hasn't been corrupted long before that, because we have so many manuscripts. There's no way the Bible but it would it could have been corrupted after Muhammad's time. So it, it just doesn't work. Uh, and and just planting these seeds. I mean, you mentioned this earlier uh, about Mormons. It takes them at least seven years before they before they decide that they're going to get out of Mormonism if they become a Christian. Well, Nabil Qureshi and Abdu Murray, uh, two former Muslims, it it took them that long or longer. I think Abdu Murray took nine years of studying, and from you know the first seed being planted to finally, now I'm a Christian. I'm no longer a Muslim. So when people take this course, Brady, that you're going to teach uh, conversations of the face or with the face, uh, you're going to show them not only how to do it, but how to be patient at it. Correct. I mean, <laughs> it's going to take yeah. a long time. Yeah. It, one of the first things I say in regards to evangelizing uh, Muslims, especially, is you've got to be patient because this is here's the deal. It's not just a belief. This is culturally ingrained in them. Mm. Uh, even if they've grown up here in America, if they've grown up in a Muslim house, everything you do in the way you live your life is based on what the Quran teaches. And, and if, if only I Christians live that way with, with the Bible or with the New Testament anyway, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> supposed to at least. Um, but I, I want to go back to, to the chronic problem just for yeah. a moment because one of the things, and I, I get I get even deeper uh, in the course on this, is the question that comes up because you you brought out the obvious problem: the the mm -hmm. Bible hasn't been corrupted. Now, the best question to ask at this point is to ask the Muslim, when was the Bible corrupted? Because their answer to to Surah six is, well, no, 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 this was um, this is this is the uncorrupted Bible. See, the problem is is we only have now the corrupted version. And so you see, according you to them, the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. According yeah. to them, you only have the corrupted. If you had the uncorrupted, then there would be no problem at all. Uh, then the next question I ask is simply, okay, well, when was it corrupted? And their answer is always going to be either before or after Muhammad. And either way, it's like you say, either way, there's a problem. Because if you say, if they say anything that's before the life of Muhammad, anything prior to 600 AD, then, okay, then why is Muhammad pointing us towards a corrupt book? Or why is Allah pointing us 
towards a corrupt book. Mm-hmm. And then if they say after, well, here's the deal. We got this embarrassment of riches that go well before 600 AD and we can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. I mean, we can objectively prove that the Bible hasn't been changed. That one question right there is the one thing that you must know. It's great if you can kind of give the whole story of the history behind the Bible and, and all about textual criticism and all that kind of stuff. That's just icing on the cake. If you know that one question right there, um, it brings that objection to a halt. And it, it becomes very difficult at that point for the Muslim to be able to continue on uh, mm. with what is really their only their only uh, fight. You know, my friend Brandon McGuire over there at Daily Dose of Wisdom on the YouTube channel, he's been using a lot of our videos and uh, commenting on them. So we're appreciative of him doing that. Uh, but I saw a video he had on his YouTube channel the other day with uh, Vody Balkum. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, it, they were, Vody was talking about how if you want to say the Bible's been corrupted, you've got to go through, you've got to believe a lot of things that are really hard to believe. Like you how you would have to gather up all the manuscripts spread all over the ancient world and change them all, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or yeah. change a significant number of them anyway, and and not let anybody know you're changing them if that was even possible to do in order to pull this off because by spreading manuscripts all over the world, it really prevents anybody from corrupting the text because uh if you just if it was just you just had the original you could corrupt it but if copies are spread all over the ancient world there's really no way you can corrupt it you, you would have to gather them all and change them all and then spread them out again it would be impossible to do and this Even is what the, this little video over there at daily dose of wisdom on youtube yeah. shows yeah. Even the ones that hadn't been discovered yet. You have to That's change right. those too. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you got to have a lot of faith that the only way this is, this is the real key. The only way that the Christian scriptures could have been corrupted is at the very beginning. At the very, very beginning, the initial manuscripts, they had to be telling falsehoods and then the falsehoods just propagated. Now yeah. we, we talk about why this is, takes a lot of faith to believe as well in the book. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I don't have time to get into it now. Uh, but uh, the evidence that shows that the New Testament writers have told the truth in the beginning is very strong. Yeah. And and so this whole idea that 600 years later, some guy comes along and tells us what happened to Jesus, yeah. you know, that doesn't even... Even, I heard Gary Habermas, we're going to have Gary on in a couple of weeks. You know, Gary's new uh, magnum opus, his first volume's out. Brady, have you seen this? Yeah. On, on uh, evidence I saw a the- picture of it. Somebody was, it might have been Sean McDowell holding yeah. up his copy. I think that's the, the one person I saw. Yeah, it yeah. Anyway, uh, I just heard his interview with Sean McDowell, and he was saying that, uh, uh, you know, the only people that deny Jesus was, cruci- were, were, was crucified are the Muslims. And he was talking about how he had this interaction once with a Muslim scholar where whereby the Muslim scholar agreed with Gary that 600 years is too late to to say that the Quran now is a source on what happened to Jesus. It's way too late. Right. You've got. You've got eyewitnesses telling us what happened to Jesus. And we've got this document that comes along, but written supposedly by one guy 600 years later. How does he know what happened to Jesus, right? Um, and uh, and the Muslim scholar agreed. But you know what he then shifted to? He said, yeah, but there are errors in the Bible. 
<laughs> what is that? What is that? So what? Maybe no, there are. Like what does that prove? Right? <laughs> you know, it's, your source isn't any good. You're just trying to say, yeah, but your source isn't either. <laughs> right? Oh, it's like yes. it's the what about is fallacy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, absolutely. And, you know, oh, my goodness. It, it's you see this also in Mormonism. Mm -hmm. But again, some Muslims might would say, well, the, the difference is, yeah, Muhammad was 600 years later, but but an angel came. Well, what does the Bible tell us in Galatians? Even if an angel comes and tells you. <laughs> yeah, another um, gospel. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 my, my favorite thing, when it, and this comes up more with Mormons, uh, because very few Muslims will use that objection. Uh, very, uh, uh, Or at least in my experience. That answer uh, that an angel came? That, yeah. Okay. We'll come back and say, well... Um, he received it from the angel Jibril or Gabriel, and so therefore it can be trusted just like you know the Bible uh, was originally trusted. Uh, but but Midel is like, listen, when that happened, Muhammad even said, ah, you know, I, this I think it was a I think it was a jinn or an evil spirit, and it, it was his wife and his companions who came back and said, oh no no no, this had to be from God. Mm -hmm. But the problem is is how do you know, how do you test the spirits? How do you right. know if this was in the Holy Spirit or an evil spirit? Mm -hmm. Or I guess in a, this sense, you know, a good spirit, an angel versus, you know, a, a, a demon, demon or some kind yeah, of deceptive yeah. spirit. And the only way you can is, does their, mass, does, does their message match the Bible? And of course, it doesn't. And so that kind of reveals the case. That's right. Yeah. His wife, Kadijah, talked him out of mm -hmm. the fact that he, he thought he was being possessed. You're right. And that that's in yeah. his biography. It'd been a shock. Uh, and there's even now a question as to how early that biography was uh, of Muhammad. And uh, in fact, it's um, Jay Smith, who's done some great work on Islam. Jay Smith, if you look up Jay Smith, you should be able to find him just Google J. Smith Islam. In fact, he did a nice presentation at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills a couple of months ago on all this, for those of you that want to go further. But you can also uh, get a lot more in the brand new course that my guest today, Dr. Brady Blevins, is going to teach beginning February 5th. And even if you're listening to this after February 5th, you can probably still join the, uh, the premium version if it's, say, a week or so after. Or you can take any of the segments of the self-paced course, and they're broken up by Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and Muslims. So you can just take those individually if you want. Brady, uh, before we go, let's talk a little bit about do's and don'ts in dealing or evangelizing with Muslims. What are some of the do's? What are some of the don'ts? Yeah, this is, man, this is an important one because um, you do want to be hospitable. Uh, th this is a culture that is, um, it, I mean, it's, it's an Eastern culture and in Eastern people just as a whole are very welcoming. Uh, it, you know, there's a lot of honor in reaching out. So, uh, you want to, you want to give a gift. Um, mm. and I recommend a Bible, mm. um, and, and don't go cheap on the Bible. This, I tell you, this happened to me. Uh, so I'm, I'm talking to this Muslim couple and, um, and they, they give me, uh, they said, well, we're going to get you a Quran. And I was like, oh, okay, great. So I'm like, I'm going to get you a Bible. <laughs> and so yeah, I go and I buy a Bible and I would spend like 20 bucks or yeah. something, you know? And, uh, and, uh, you know, we kind of have this gift exchange and I open it up 
And it is, uh, in fact, I think I even have it on my shelf over here. It's this nice, beautiful bound book and it looks nice. And I'm giving them like a $20 Bible. I'm like, oh my goodness, I just got out gifted here. And, and I, and I have the better gift to give uh-huh, and I'm, uh-huh. I'm going cheap on them. So, um, and there's, there's some other cultural things like, for example, uh, you know, don't, um, you know, don't use, you know, your left hand. Uh, like, you know, don't in terms of, or, uh, in terms of like trying to shake their hand or anything like that. Um, if you're going out to eat with them, uh, boy, this was, man, this happened to me one time. Uh, we, we go to this nice steak restaurant, uh, and, and they come out and I, I order my food and I get a baked potato and I come up and there's, even though I did not order it, there's this beautiful strip of bacon on it now my initial thought was to just stop and praise jesus because Uh he has blessed me with this gift of bacon (laughs) that i don't have to pay for Uh and uh and so but immediately i don't even let them put the plate down i go whoa whoa whoa. that's that's got bacon on it Uh, i didn't order bacon i'm and and the whole reason is is because just very similar to, to jews um the the pig is to be considered unclean and they don't eat it it would be a defilement to them and so therefore um, you know, if you invite them over for dinner at your house, don't no pork. feed them pork chops, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, put the dog up. Yeah. Dogs are considered unclean. There would never be a dog in a Muslim's house. So if you have a dog, uh, put, put your dog up, lock him up in a room. Don't let him come out and jump up on them. That would be horrible. Now, now be honest, Brady. The only real reason you're a Christian and not a Jew or a Muslim is because you can eat bacon. Come on, be honest. Uh, okay. That definitely helps the case. Uh. That's right. All right. Any, anything else? Uh, I, I've always uh, thought since they're kind of an honor shame culture that they can't really lose face. You're going to want to do this individually and not in a group, correct? Yes. One-on-one and it's it's especially if you're an American and you've been taught to be like uber polite and mm-hmm. you know don't get too excited with with Muslims a lot of times it's not even as much about what you say but how you say it and what I mean by that is this how much passion do you show in your conversation? A lot of times when you when you talk to Muslims, especially if they're from the Middle East, they're going to be loud. Yeah. Um, and, and That's the cultural. Mad. They, they, they respect. They respect passion. Yeah. And, 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 and we, so, we're, 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 we're sort of uh, wary of it. We think, oh, you know, yeah. you're, you're being too aggressive or, yeah. or you're trying to cover up a, trying to cover up logic here, you know, logic week here, pound pulpit, you know, that's what we think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, here it's like, you know, we, as Christians, you know, we, we try to be meek, which is mm-hmm. power under control. Right. You know, we're controlled, we're dignified, uh, not saying that they're not dignified, but they're going to get loud and they're going to get, uh, I, I, the last conversation I had, uh, I was in my office at, at my home and whenever I got done, my wife opened up, she goes, who are you yelling at? So I wasn't yelling with anyone. We were having a nice conversation. And she goes, with who? I'm like, well, this Muslim guy, I know, uh, and we were talking about the Bible. And, and she's like, it sounded like you were yelling at him. I said, no. I said, we were just having a spirited conversation. I said, nobody. In fact, he invited me the next time I go to Egypt. He, he wants uh, he wants me to meet his family. You know, uh, I'm like, this is the, no, this is the way that this is the way they talk. And 
uh, and it's okay. And it's almost a necessity because you got to show that you are passionate about what you believe. Yeah. And some people are going, oh, this is so stereotypical. No, what we're doing is we're telling you the predominant characteristics of the culture. Is it true all the time? Maybe not. But I've noticed that when you go to the Middle East uh, and when you interact with both Jews and Muslims, they're much more expressive than Americans. They're much more passionate and they respect that. They're not going to get mad at you when you raise your voice. They're, that's just how they interact, generally speaking. Yeah, maybe there yeah. maybe there are exceptions, but we're just trying to show you how you can play the odds and improve your chances of having a good interaction with somebody. That's what yeah. we're talking of course, about here. You know, if you're yeah. talking to an American Muslim, I mean, they're going to show you up front what what it's all about. You mm-hmm. know, they're they're going to show you if it's more important to them to. Um, you know, to, to be expressive and, uh, to be excited in your talk. I mean, if it's, if it's somebody who's a Muslim, who's lived in America, maybe they, maybe they're a convert to Islam, then yeah, you're going to have a much, what we would consider normal Mm -hmm. kind of conversation. There's going to be a lot more in this course coming up. Again, it's called Conversations with the Faiths. If you go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, you'll see it there. You're going to talk about the core beliefs and practices of of Islam, how to engage with Muslims. Uh, I know you're going to talk about the history and organizational structure of the JWs. You're going to be talking about how to discuss uh, faith with Jehovah's Witnesses. You're going to be doing the same for Mormons. You're going to give also one of the great things about going to, going through a course like this, Brady. You give a lot of good theology too, right? I mean, it's yes. not. <laughs> it's in fact, I, had, I can't remember who I was who I was, I was talking to, but somebody said I was reading a book on Mormonism, and I learned more about Christianity in reading that book than I had expected to. Yeah, um, it, it was. Um, I know that there's a book that just came out. In fact, uh, I think I have it. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah. by uh, uh, Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson, that was the uh, book. Yeah, yeah. It, and and he said that uh, because we we had him out as a guest on our podcast, um, Apologetics Profile, and he said, you know, I wanted to write a book to help explain Christianity to Mormons. That and was he it. Goes, huh? Then when I got done with it. He goes, I realized it was a good book to explain Christianity to Christians. That's it right and, there. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's and, and to me, Frank, this is why I really love interfaith apologetics, because it really helps you to nail down and understand theology, uh-huh. because some of the some of the best things I've learned came from questions that a Jehovah's Witness or a, a Mormon or uh, even a Muslim has asked me that I didn't initially know the answer to. And then next thing you know, I'm digging deep and I'm like, oh, wow, it's okay. Oh, now I get it, you know, and, and you're able to explain these things, especially stuff like with Muslims, substitutionary atonement. Oh, yeah. You've yeah. got to understand that because yeah. this is just an anathema of an idea. you got to understand the even Trinity. Even though the Quran teaches it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you got to understand the Trinity too. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's probably the biggest one yeah. of, of the group. Yeah, this is the, so that you're going to learn a lot about your own theology or what your own theology should be if you take conversations with the face with Dr. Brady Blevins. Again, go to crossexamine.org, click on the online courses, you will see it there. Also, want to mention this weekend, 
on the 28th of January. I'll be at Revival Christian Fellowship. Uh, John Miller's the pastor there. Uh, Calvary Chapel Church in Menifee, California. We're doing If God, Why Evil in the morning and the evening and also taking your questions. Then, Lord willing, on February 1st, Thursday, we'll be at Purdue University. That will also be live streamed. You can uh, check that out uh, on our YouTube channel. And then we're doing the big Fearless Faith Conference in Zena, Ohio. Go to DaytonApologetics.com for more about that. It's not only me. It's Jorge Gill. It's Greg Kokel. It's Elisa Childers. It's uh, John Ferrer. It's Phoenix Hayes. We're going to talk about some cultural issues there and how you can better uh, be equipped to be a, uh, a Christian who's salt and light in the culture uh, particularly this year, it's another election year. How can you do that effectively? The issues are going to be amplified. Uh, there's a lot more coming up on our website. Go to crossexamine.org. Click on not only online courses, but Frank Turek calendar. You'll see it there. And Brady, tell people where they can find more about you. What's your website? All right. Our website is watchman.org. That's uh, W-A-T-C-H-M-A-N, watchman.org. And uh, you can find a lot. We got a ton of uh, free resources uh, on the website. We also have some other resources that you might be interested in as well. A great opportunity to be able to just get to know more about the religions out there because what may not matter to you now may matter a whole lot when your son or your daughter bring home <laughs> bring home a little girl or a little boy uh, that has some very different beliefs than what you have been trying to instill in them. Exactly. All right, friends, it's been great. Uh, Brady, it's great having you on, and I hope people uh, get involved in the course. Again, if you're listening to this after the premium version course starts, you can still take the self-paced course whenever you want. And there are three versions of it, one for Jehovah's Witnesses, one for Muslims, one for Mormons. Check it all out there. Brady, thanks so much for being on. Thank you, Frank. Appreciate it. All right. God bless, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you here next week, Lord willing.